So obviously, financial wealth, or I say obviously, but I'm not too sure about it. Like, if you if you were financially free in that you didn't have a care in the world financially, would you be more likely to do the right moral thing? Like, if you didn't have a worry about what it would mean for you at work if you stood up for a co-worker that gets treated really badly by the boss, or maybe you you would take more time out of your day if you didn't have to worry about your daily grind, your daily bread and butter. Maybe you take more time out of the day to to look at the world around you and see where you could intervene to make a difference. Now, I kind of wonder about that. Like, I don't know if I don't know if more money and financial freedom brings with it a higher level of moral or a more brave version of moral upstandingness. Like, I don't know. It's almost like the whole alcohol debate where you get people who, and I'm sure this is true, someone who turns into a kind of Hyde and Jekyll sort of character when they're not drinking and when they are drinking, like you could really not recognize them. But I think I kind of stand with the majority's view on this is alcohol kind of makes you more of what you already are. So if you have a sort of angry and violent streak to you, you tend to get a bit more angry, a bit more violent perhaps. So I wonder if that applies. I wonder if money and standing up for things that are sort of universally seen as good and and right, I wonder if those things are linked. Like, if it does, then it means people with the most money, with the most financial means, should be the most moral and upstanding, right? And obviously that's not the case. It's not a universal trait that sort of comes across when people make it big, so to speak. I don't think they just become better people. I think good people and by good i kind of mean people who people who put others first and who might take the time to help those around them i guess i think good people are good whether or not they have money now i wonder if getting financially free if that could take you in reverse like de-evolve you could you could you have been a really nice guy and then you win the lottery and then you become a complete and utter a-hole. I think I've heard about those too. I wonder that. I wonder about that all the time. I'm thinking, hmm, because everybody sort of says, yeah, but the guy doing good, he's got the following reasons to, or the guy who's really evil, these are the reasons for it. But I kind of wonder when I think about it, would I be a better person if there were reasons that would convince me that I wasn't under some kind of threat. I think about that. Like, if money, if money is the worry, if losing an income, for example, that's a strong, strong reason to have you not do the morally right thing. If someone threatens your your family's livelihood or your livelihood, like that's that's a real gun to your head. I imagine under the right circumstances, the right threats could ultimately have anybody acting outside of character even if they're mother Teresa you know it's like torture eventually gets everyone to admit to a crime they didn't commit like it's there are only a handful of people who who wouldn't bow to pain I mean it's it's 
it's human. So I don't know if money would make me better, a better person, or or would it make me a worse person? Like, I don't know. There, I saw this really interesting story. There was this guy on Periscope, which is, if you're not familiar with the platform, it's an application that allows you to stream from your phone. You stream whatever it is you're doing at the time. You can just stream it live and anyone can just join in and watch. And it's a very interesting platform and yeah, it has its own struggles. But there was this guy who was on there and he had uh, a big smile on his face, lying on his bed, smiling. And the title said, I had just won the lottery. And so I joined in this room, had a look, and there were about 45 other people in there, also interested. And this guy had, well, whether he did or didn't, but he had won this lottery in an estate in the United States, which is called Set for Life. It's a Set for Life lottery. Now, in South Africa, we don't we don't have that, where upon winning, he gets given a choice. He could either take a lump sum, which gets taxed quite heavily, um, or he could choose to take $5,000 before tax every week for the rest of his life. And according to him, he's probably going to see three and a half to 4000 of that after tax. So the dude was smiling. It seemed like a pretty genuine big smile. And from what I could also gather is he's had a pretty rough life. He He's sort of in a sort of like what would be termed a, the projects or a, or a ghetto, I guess, in the States. And this dude was really happy. And he, funnily enough, he said, People were advising him, of course, and they were making jokes, saying, you know, I need a, I need a dollar here or a thousand here. It's nothing to you, man. But a guy came on and said, look, you need to get yourself a lawyer and you need to keep this a secret from people around you because you're quickly going to find out that all kinds of friends are going to come out of the woodwork and your auntie is going to be your best buddy and new, you know, your granny is going to start baking you cookies. And he said, you know, I haven't even told my family. I haven't told anyone. And I found it fascinating that that um, the internet and and the immediacy of that, like once the once he's sort of done his cast, his his uh, periscope cast, he can choose to delete it or leave it on his feed. It's up to him, but he can delete it. That there's almost this non permanent nature to it. Like he felt quite safe. What are the chances of his family going onto periscope while he's streaming in real time? Like such a fascinating idea that he used the internet as a means to connect to people around him that he would never see or meet again, but he needed to tell someone, but he couldn't tell people close to him or that know him directly because then there's a whole bunch of real real world consequences to telling people that you've, you're you going to be getting $4,000 a week for the rest of your life. Like that changes your life in a very real way. It's all very surreal for him, obviously, but I thought that was quite interesting that he chose that way. And I kind of wonder what person, what kind of person was he uh, now and what will he become i should have written down his name and sort of track him throughout his journey his 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 goal was his dream was actually to create a youtube channel as, <laughs> where he was basically going to share his life as from the point of of winning this lottery and how it changes his life which i thought that was quite cool i should have actually checked it out i'll probably just google it and see if if indeed he even even did win the lottery, which would be even more interesting, I think, um, creating story, elaborate narratives, and they're all fake and, and they're all lies and they're not real, but we create we create stories for each other. 
not just for us, not just for other people. Like filmmakers don't make the films just to show people, to show an audience. They make the films for themselves. Obviously, writers write the books for themselves. Musicians make the music for themselves. And if they don't, I think their careers are probably very limited and they kind of disappear into the ether. I think people who've been around and that have inspired and created generations of fans or have had an impact on on culture, those people were in love with what they created, the process, and and just making it. And they were unstoppable in that. I often see that. Where obviously now, if you ask, if you ask the average teenager what they want to be, and being a YouTuber is not not unrealistic or or rather not ridiculous at all. I mean, there are ways to live off creating content and stuff. But I kind of wonder, you know, you want to just you want to just be that, and actually doing it is a very different thing. And what would happen? I wonder if there's a generational difference where. If you had given someone 50 years ago uh, financial freedom overnight, would they end up differently at the end of it all than if you gave a current 22-year-old, a 24-year-old, 25-year-old? This generation's sort of reality would mean different things. How would they, who would burn through it quicker? And who would choose to do things for other people? And yeah, it's a fascinating idea that money equals money, or at least I think we like to believe that money would make a big difference into who we are, like how we could contribute. And I do question that. I think it's the same, maybe some of the same excuses we give ourselves when we have to come up with reasons not to do something which we know is good for us or that would challenge us. And we don't do it because we want to come up, we have to come up with excuses to not because we're trying to preserve ourselves. Like sometimes you know what you need to do, but doing it is so damn hard and doing it hurts. It hurts way more than we can handle. Like we've got to forgive ourselves. Yes, we know we all need to eat healthy and we all have to exercise. We, but But actually doing it consistently and Damn, man, like, yeah, okay, some people get, some people manage that, but everything comes with a cost, everything comes, everything builds a new framework in your life, and I wonder what sort of frameworks get built when you wake up overnight and you're sort of free, free financially, we, you know, money's no real object, it's like money for life, although it's never really money for life, and I think people who've had huge amounts of money and find themselves completely broke. One example really interesting is that um, Mike Tyson, really fascinating character as a person, because I mean, this is a dude who lost his his mom. Um, he, he didn't know who his father was. He I mean, his mom was a prostitute and his father was a pimp. And he just believed, he believed his mother as to who his dad was. But here's this kid who's got no positive energy coming his way. He gets snapped up by some guy who goes, geez, you're going to be the next world champion. And this guy goes on to being that multiple times over. And gets worth, you know, He's worth millions. And I recently saw an interesting piece about his live stage show. He's now touring, touring the United States and, and probably will tour the rest of the world with a show which is essentially his life. And I mean, we all know that he's not the most... It's fascinating because he comes obviously across as a heavyweight boxer, like you think, oh, this guy's going to be an absolute idiot. 
with you know all the times he's been smashed around, but he's actually an avid reader of philosophy. And at the same time, he lost his daughter in a freak, freak accident. It's absolutely crazy. Like he lost his daughter and she she strangled herself on the cord of a treadmill in their house. Like I also kind of wonder, well, I mean, I can't even, it's impossible for a parent to even imagine a scenario where their child dies, let alone dies in your home under your care. It's just, it's unfathomable. And it really destroyed him. I don't know how he, well, he did say, you know, he did cocaine for like an entire week and he, he, he wanted to take a gun and just go kill random people, or maybe not randoms. He, you know, he said people he didn't, he didn't want to get into names, but people he deemed were not fit, he didn't like. And um, he went to the hospital. I think it was, it was, um, he went to the hospital to, uh, to, to be with a body or something like that. I can't remember. Or he was, that's post her dying at the hospital. And he turned and he saw some other parents who were also there and had a child that was busy dying, something like that, to that effect. And he was so affected by that, deeply affected. And now he sort of tells his story around the world. And I mean, he's not a, he's really not a natural born actor. The guy has an earpiece in his ear, which his, his now wife basically sort of guides him and reads the script to him so he can remember it and, and, and present it in a certain way. But every time that picture of his daughter comes up in the presentation, he can sometimes not turn to even look at it. And there's somebody who, for all accounts and purposes, rose from nothing to have everything to have nothing. And I think that going from every nothing to everything back to nothing and nothing minus another hundred points by losing his child, that actually made him a better person. That's crazy, but it's true. So I witnessed this interesting thing. There, there was this really old gentleman sitting next to me in a restaurant while I was working. And he must have been in his late 60s. He was very frail. And he had a walking stick. And it took him like two and a half hours just to get himself in a position where he could sit down. And subsequently it took him another two hours after he'd eaten his strawberry cheesecake to get up again just to prepare the body for that. And we don't come into contact with that a lot, or at least I don't, where I am in contact with people who are old, physically old. There's something which reminds us of our mortality in that. Like if I want to get up, I get up. If I want to sit down, I sit down. But when you get to the stage where you're frail insofar as even, even getting up or sitting down becomes something you have to plan you have to think out carefully because you could easily fall over and then break bones and then you have to go for surgery and it's just very interesting and humbling and at the same time I don't know why I find it so difficult to respect myself my own body my own eating habits my own exercise habits I let those sort of slip um, and yet 
can also acknowledge how those things are important to stay physically strong, to stay physically healthy for my family. And there's this constant battle between patterns of behavior and particularly strategies that you've had to employ in your life for maybe eating or uh, eating the wrong stuff or um, beating yourself up about the way you look, whatever it may be. To, to survive and these things stay with you they stay with you as you grow up and it almost becomes inseparable you almost accept these strange self-destructive behaviors and you don't know how to get out of them it just feels like it's so intertwined with who you are and there are many things like that I just find it interesting that if you look carefully enough you can find in the people around you moments where you can reflect or lessons which you are meant to be learning somehow I don't know what kind of old man I'm going to be I don't know if I'm going to need a stick I don't know who does and how do you accept that gracefully do you do you fight it did he fight it what was he like as a young man yeah I don't know if this applies to any of you out there but when I was younger and I saw my teachers in a public space outside of school I would always find it incredibly embarrassing I would feel embarrassed I would I would if I saw them walking down the road I would walk on the opposite side or if I saw them shopping like God forbid shopping for food in a in a, in a shop I'd I'd be so flabbergasted by the fact that they could maybe that I don't know that they were human too and I kind of wonder if living in spaces like cities where there's almost infinite variation in the people you encounter, and by that I mean you may choose to go to one of many different supermarkets and see your cashier, someone different. I don't know if you, if you see that same person in a different context, like you see them in a store, but you also see them in a church, or you see them at a school or you see them down the road or in a park like the more times you see someone in, diff in a different context that means that they then become more human and more three-dimensional to you and I think the less contexts you see people in the more limited they are and maybe that's what leads to people treating like waiters really badly or shop at people who are supposed to help you in a shop and one small mistake or, or one small delay and people get really irate. Maybe it just has to do with context. Maybe, you know, if you follow people home and see how they live and you could secretly hide yourself in, in some, I don't know, some part of their home and, and see what life is really like, you get to see them as human beings. And that sometimes happens. I think there have been stories of that where someone gets helped. They're, they're in some kind of trouble and they get helped by someone who they wouldn't normally engage with on a daily basis and then that completely changes the way in which they see that sort of strata of society I wonder if we could I wonder why maybe maybe it is happening and we don't know it but the internet obviously allows us to see people in from all over the world but does that are those people all just essentially showing the same version of an ideal like what does it mean to be you know, a YouTuber in America and then everybody 
everybody in the Middle East is essentially doing the same kind of thing, so we don't actually get to, to encounter it? Or do you need to actually be there to see and taste and smell and feel it for it to have a real effect on you? I don't know. But yeah, I still remember thinking that, my God, my teacher, like, has to buy food. Crazy. So something that's interesting to me is that obviously when you don't have a fixed schedule for work and work-related stress, obviously there's stress in not having a job, a fixed form of income, but what starts happening is you have time to start thinking, which can be obviously a very bad thing, but for the most part, it's interesting to see what sort of things you are attracted to, interested in, and also what, which people in your life um, do you think about or do you want to connect with? And for me it's been interesting because as a person I'm relatively mm, sort of, I suppose, not antisocial, but to some de degree I like my own company and I'm not too worried about friendships insofar as I haven't spent most of my life building them. I spent my, most of my life building other things, or trying to at least. And I've been attracted to one or two individual people who, for some reason, I studied with, drawn back into a, um, a previous period in my life, but to connect with them again. Um, and that's been fairly interesting because you never know how situations, particularly ones that are traumatic or disruptive, you don't know how those are going to affect you. And for me, I've challenged, or not so much challenged myself, but what I've tried to do is trust my intuition more now, in that if my mind tells me to connect with someone, I'm going to do it, and there it takes a bit of challenge, because it's not something that comes naturally to me, I'm not, I'm not the kid, I wasn't the kid on the playground who ran right up to random strange people and said, you know, I want to play, that wasn't me. So... It's been interesting to see how my mind has wanted to, con wanted to connect with people from my past, and it's been very positive. I'd like to share some more of what they, they are like as people and hopefully get some discussions with them on here as well. That would be really good because I think anybody or everybody goes through their own difficulties. But what's really wonderful is that when you connect with someone who's gone through some tough stuff, without an agenda you don't connect to them because you want something from them you just connect because you want to share in their company then it's quite remarkable that very little needs to be said with regards to you know your situation and often in terms of superficial discussions none of that really happens you kind of go straight for the jugular and you you start talking about stuff that matters to you and to them and I think you listen a lot better you respect them a lot more because you have context or at least you have something in common which can often be a struggle or an event that was traumatic and there's a level of respect you have for somebody else. Often, I often wish that everybody's traumas or challenges could be somehow shown on a, some kind of board around their necks just randomly and in public. Because when you know someone has got a challenge, then you might, I don't know, give them a little bit more time, a little bit more respect. Um, you might be a little less abrupt. 
you know, if the if the if the waiter helping you, you know, if they had a border on then it said supporting supporting two children and a sick mother, like would you be that quick to to insist on quick service? Would you be that rude to them? I don't know, context is an interesting one for me and I'm learning a little bit more about listening to other people's contexts. But it took trauma to help me open my ears a little more. It took, you know, a real hard kick to the face to make me go, hold on a second, I'm not that important. And the things I thought that were important were superficial. The things that mattered were right under my nose. And they remain, they remain important, but it just really puts things into perspective for me. So, yeah, 